There's a new restaurant that opened up up the street from us. And if you stepped inside that restaurant, it felt very premium, felt very high end. But the signage was just awful. I, I, I happened to know the owner. Um, I just said, hey, you know what? It'd be like super cool if like the exterior um, and the signage matched the interior. And and that's kind of a perfect analogy when you think about it, because there's so many home service contractors that perform amazing service. But if you were to judge them by the trucks, their uniforms, their website, you can't really make that leap. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your hosts, Nate and Brian, are hanging out with you again. And this time, we're looking forward to bringing Dan Antonelli on to talk about branding. Yeah, that's right. We're going to be talking about branding. And that is a conversation that is applicable to you, whether you are running your own business or whether you are a man in the van yourself doing your branding in the home. So we're looking to have a great conversation with him and uh, talk about all the variations of branding and how important that is. Uh, into the marketplace. But first, Brian and I are going to talk about that subject ourselves, and we're going to turn to Brian for our quote. People do not buy goods and services. They buy relations, stories, and magic. Seth Godin. Magic. All right. I like yeah. it. What type of magic are we selling? Beans? Um, Certainly in the story, we're selling magic, right? Like... Um, we have a technician here who, who got up in a morning meeting and, uh, said that he, I think I've told this story before. Actually, we might've had that tech tell this story before. He came here from another HVAC company that was not, um, big on the indoor air quality products at all. Like your really high level filters, electronic filters and, um, UV lights and all this kind of stuff. But he, he came here and, you know, we promote those products and to help him get on board, we installed some in his home. And, you know, he's a, he's the type of guy who's, if it, if he doesn't think it works, he's not talking about it, which is what we promote here and why we encourage people to get these systems in their homes. So I think he had three kids at the time and he said about once a month they missed church because one of the kids was sick inevitably and they got a few of the products and I don't remember what products we were carrying at the time, but a, a few of those products in, and I don't know what it was like half a year later, he stood up in a morning meeting and said that as a result of, I'm sorry, he was like crushing it with the IAQ sales. Like it had just become his thing and, and without really the selling personality, you know, that, really outgoing bubbly personality he's just he's just monotone low-key he was crushing everybody and I, and I do mean nationally I mean maybe it was the year that he went out to the convention with us in Las Vegas and accepted number one uh, IEQ in all of all of one hour which I don't know like 
500 territories or something like that. And he was in a morning meeting here, and we asked him how he was doing it, and he said, well, wasn't a big believer in the products at first, and then they had me put them in my house. And my wife and I just noticed like a half a year later that we didn't miss church anymore. Like the kids were never sick. Even allergy issues that we had had cleared up. And he said he realized it had to do with the IAQ stuff he put in. So he started talking to some of his customers about it. And he would put one in occasionally. And he would call that customer back and ask for feedback. And the feedback was insanely positive. And the more feedback he got, the stronger his presentation and confidence became. And he just started moving more of it. Now, imagine the difference between him, Dave, going to your home and telling you that story, that magical story about his family not missing church anymore because someone's always sick versus me going to your home and talking about how many microns the filter filters down to and, you know, what UV rays do to bacteria or what have you and, like, you know, how dirty your ducks are and how we can make them clean. I'm selling a product and a service. Dave is selling magic. He's selling a story, a relation, right? Which one are you buying? Yeah, I think the story is is the critical piece of that, Brian. I mean, storytelling has always been an emotional and persuasive method of communication. I mean, just look look at Disney, right? I mean, grown men watch Pixar cartoons and it moves, it moves you, or am I just the only one? You, it moves I'm just, you okay. Right. I'm just the only one, right? Okay. So, but storytelling, uh, whether it's, you know, on, in a book or on, on a screen or in conversation is a powerful way of branding. It's marketing. That's what you're doing. You're telling a story to convince, persuade, inform somebody of your passion for a specific element, product, service, or whatever you want to put behind it. But it's this story is often a great way of getting somebody on board with what you're saying. Right. And that's what Dan Antonelli does so well with kick charge is they, even when creating your brand, they're, they're, they're starting with a story, right? They, they have to know about where your brand came from, where you as the owner personally came from, what your mission is, what the goal is. They, they get into, they study your market to know how it can stand out in your market And I wanted to have him on for that reason. Obviously, we have a lot of small business owner contractors that listen and and, uh, probably contact us more than any other group at this point. But even from a technician standpoint, you're you're using some kind of brand and story to set yourself apart. How does that work? Well, if you go into the home and you tell the story of how, you know, like use me for an example, how the trades, I always say it. And I'm not going to say it on this episode, but you're welcome to comb through the episodes and you'll hear my story, but how I say the trades saved my life. The plumbing trade saved my life. The, the HVAC electrical plumbing trades now, uh, have caused me to live a life where my kids have way more options than I ever had, like for their futures and, and way more things available to them. And the relationships that I've made as a result of being in the trades are just phenomenal and profound and you know we're, we're going to have a guest on in in a couple of weeks who's who I was introduced to by Ken Goodrich and even being able to know you know I mean Ken everybody knows who Ken is in the trades right 
Dude's got a jet, bro. <laughs> <laughs> On part two of our series with him, I'm going to ask him about it. We're going to dig into what it's like to own a jet. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think in my, with my trajectory growing up in Detroit, no dad, hanging around gangs and drugs, and uh, I don't think on my trajectory, minus plumbing, I was going to know anyone who owned a jet. You know what I mean? Right. And he introduced me via group text. He put me in a group text with a guy named Mark Jennison, who uh, is the founder of I Am A Comeback, um, because you know Mark has a similar story to mine, and we had some, some cool stuff to talk about, and he has this program, and we'll get into that with him, but it's just a, a, one of the many, many people I've come to know in conversations I've been blessed to have as a result of this plumbing trade. And I go in, I would go into homeowners or into homes and tell homeowners like, here's, here's who I am. Here's why I love the plumbing trade. Here's why I love this team that I get to be part of. And I would use stories to, to paint that picture so that it's such a part of your brand, personal brand. Um, that when you go to present price, when I went to present price, and present the package that you're presenting. It nobody felt like I was talking about the same, you know, clearing a toilet stoppage with an auger that some guy from Roto Rooter who just walked right in, barely said hi, went to the toilet, put the auger in there. It, you know, that's that's apples and I'm apple pie. That's apples and I'm selling oranges. That's it's a completely different thing. It's a completely different thing. You're not looking at just getting your toilet unclogged. You're looking at becoming part of this brand that I paint a picture of with storytelling. You know, it's it's magic. It really is magic. It's a completely different thing than just rolling up with your white truck with your last name, you know, Services Inc. on the side and walking straight in, get get to the job and then walking straight out. And then you're on Facebook messaging me like, how do you guys charge so much? I'm like, well, you, we do something completely different. We're in two different lines of work. As uh, David Sandler would say, we're <laughs> selling is a uh, Broadway show put on by a psychologist. <laughs> and, right. and that's what we're in there doing. I mean, my level of communication at this point is so studied. I spent so many decades now on it. It's, it's nothing compared to someone who's just going in to present uh, you know, replacing a a, a contactor—it's a completely different animal. So, build, start building your brand, but talk about your brand. Your personal brand is you, and everything that has brought you to the point you're at now. And you know, learn to, to tell stories, like even your own story. And I don't mean learn to fictionalize your story and and add fake pieces to it, but there's a way to tell a story where there's a where you're you're bonding that person listening to the story you're making them feel like part of it you're painting a picture that they get to enjoy with you they almost feel like they're going on that ride and reliving it with you if you can learn to tell a good story and that that in branding i mean i listened to the roy roy h williams wizard of ads podcast it's like seven minutes a week or whatever it's pretty easy listen and then occasionally i go down the rabbit hole which means you you have to open a website and do some reading, which you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it gets a little old. Right. 
And and Roy's no stranger to the pen. He can write some pretty long articles. I'm like, can't you just do this on the audio? Part? <laughs> <laughs> all this work. Um, but it's all about branding and setting yourself apart and painting pictures and telling stories. And and it makes me realize that when, when I have someone in the house who, who really makes me love them and their brand, man, will I pay more money for the same job. You just don't look at it as you, as it's, as it's similar companies when there's a brand built and our buddy Dan is a master at it and not just that, but like got to meet him at vertical track in Arizona several weeks ago and uh, hang out with him a little bit. And the, I was talking to my brother in Michigan who owns a jetting company about, you know, getting, getting someone like, well, not someone like getting Dan to help him out with his, uh, with his truck wrap. And, the thing that just came out in, in the conversation that I didn't even realize in, until I was off the phone with him was I said, um, Dan is just, he's just a straight up good dude. Like he's someone that you, you benefit from knowing regardless of whether you use him for branding or whatever. As I was chatting with him in Arizona, I was like, man, this is just a, this is just a good guy, like all around good guy. And I'm hoping that comes out in the conversation today. Cause really is just a good, humble guy. And he's just, wildly successful but you barely know it talking to him because he's such a humble low-key guy he makes the conversation about you it's just an easy person to talk to yeah that's right brian and i'm sure i'm sure our listeners will pick up on that as we walk into the interview here but one thing i wanted to touch on that you just mentioned there brian was the idea of having your own story so again the yes i mean dan does branding for companies he does branding for you know uh entities and vans and and you know more of a, a ceo or presidential type of decision uh, but i don't want you if you're listening as a technician in the field to lose focus on you should be concentrating on this as well right so you may be an employee of a company but that doesn't mean that you can't have your own brand story you know what what is the nate minnick brand what is the brian burton brand when you walk in the home, whether you work for you know our company, One Hour Heating, Air Conditioning, Benjamin Franklin Plumbing, Mr. Sparky Electric, or whether you work for whatever other name of a company out there, you are still your own man or woman in the van doing the things that you do. And that means that when you walk into the home, not only do you represent the company that's on the side of the van parked out on the curb, but you also represent yourself, your family, and your last name. And that's, that should be a big deal. And branding your last name, branding your, your approach to customer service, your work in the home, how you do things and how you conduct your business, that's a big deal. And that should be something that we should all be proud of. In fact, I, my opinion is that it should be an even higher level of accountability than whatever your current company holds you to. You know, Brian works for Benjamin Franklin Plumbing. And they have, a, let's say they... They have a, a 10 out of 10 expectation on level of service. But the Burton, the Burton story, the Burton brand is an 11 out of 10 expectation on service. You get what I'm saying? Like it, it's driving home who you are. What is your brand and what does your brand mean? When you walk into that home and you present yourself, it should be a higher standard than anybody else is holding you to because it's you. It's your last name. And and the good book, the Bible says that a name, a, a good name, a righteous name is to be treasured above precious rubies. I think that's really sound advice. Yeah, but 
for the record, the Burton brand. I don't like to set the bar that high. <laughs> I like a low expectation. I got you. I, okay. I hurdle. I leap over that low expectation hurdle, and you're like, wow, he did a lot better than I expected because I set it at like a 6, and then I go to like 6.5 <laughs> out of 10. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. Way, way to drive that point home. Right. You know what I'm saying. I'm kind of lazy. <laughs> Yo, we went, uh, not to change the subject too hard, but I'm sure Dan will get us back on. We went to uh, We went shooting. My son, Ethan, and I went shooting with our – our Sparky service manager, John Ressler, yesterday evening. Oh, nice. That this, sounds fun. This doesn't pertain to this episode whatsoever. Right, we're just going to break it down for a little uh, bit. We just want to talk about it. Go ahead. Yeah, because I got here this morning, ran right into some training with some guys, did some role play, and then uh, haven't really got to talk about it. But uh, we were shooting some, we're going hunting with him in December and a few of the other guys here, Jamie, Brennan, Mike. So we're, we're going to do some hunting next month. We had to we had to like test these six five Creedmoor rifles. It was a blast. But out comes this fifty caliber rifle that he has. And my little hundred and forty pound, hundred and fifty pound, fourteen year old son, you know, has big old hearts in his eyes. Like, <laughs> I gotta try it. <clears throat> and it has this uh I didn't know what this thing was, but it has this what looks like a large, like one by three inch uh, ABS adapter on the end of the barrel. Plumbers will kind of know what I mean. Oh, nice. But it's got like slots carved out of each side of it. It's called a, called a muzzle brake. So we're just going full call of duty on this weapon? Literally. So I've seen, you know, you've seen these things on rifles and stuff before, and I'm not a military guy, but so I don't really, I've seen it, but I never really knew what it was for. I found out what it was for last night. <laughs> Apparently, like, the pressure, percussion, or the gases coming out of this thing are so intense. Have you seen a fifty caliber bullet? Yeah. Like, how big this thing is? Yeah. It's massive, and it's it's pretty big around, too. Well, my son fired the first shot. Whoa. I mean, there was like a, there was like a box of, of, so, so the way that this, it's called a muzzle brake, the way that this muzzle brake, this adapter is um, slotted is like it has three slots on each side. It's fitted right onto the end of the barrel. It has three slots on each side. <clears throat> this thing's mounted on a on like a tripod and sitting on a little cushion thing so you're on the picnic table shooting it so you're not like holding it up and, you know, it's like a 30-pound rifle. And uh, these slots are pointed like kind of back at you but like, like a triangle around you. So it's at the point and they're coming out back your way, but outside of you. And I'm watching them get set up and John tells him, you know, what to do and how to fire it. And uh, he's, he's a pretty good shot with a rifle. And he fires this thing and there's like a half full case of six, five Creedmoor rounds, which are not small rounds either. Half full box of 20 or whatever, so maybe there's 10 in the box, sitting about three feet away on the other side of the picnic table. And when this thing goes off, boom, I mean, it was just like, Doh. he actually rolled his truck windows down because it was right behind us, like, eh, just in case. I don't want to blow my windows. I was like, what? <laughs> Wait, hold on, bro. I got little earplugs, you know? <laughs> Wait a minute. Um, but the, but the, I keep saying percussion. I don't know if that's the right word, but it was just like, and 
the the blast came out of the front. I got it on video, so I, I can actually post this on the on the group if anybody wants to see it in the Waste No Day Facebook group. But it came the blast came out of the front like you normally see on these higher caliber rifles. But then it came out of both sides of the tip of the barrel too from this muzzle brake. So it what it does is it keeps like the the recoil from being too severe. Like John said, without this muzzle brake on this thing, it could probably just take Ethan's whole arm right off his side. Just pop it right off. Sheesh. <clears throat> and you could see it because three feet away was this half full box of six five Creedmoor shells. This thing blew off of the side of the picnic table like like a you know, a Dasani water bottle cap. Yeah. It just flung up in the air and just shot over two feet. And, it, you know, I'm like, I've tried to follow it with the camera. It was just so intense. And then, you know, Ethan takes like a, a two Mississippi and he's like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it was just intense. Um, yeah. So that was, that was pretty fun. I, I would uh, strongly recommend if you know someone who can, uh, Hey, if you work here, you know, John wrestler. So, so form a line. And uh, ask him to take you. I'll tell you now, shell not cheap for this thing. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I bet, yeah. You definitely want to go get some of your own. You don't want to use up Johnny's uh, 50 cal shells. Um, but, yeah, it was a blast. So had a good time with E yesterday. And I'll post that video for anyone who's not seen one of these things go off. I'm sure our, our military friends know all about this. But I myself have not been fortunate enough to see one of these things fire off. And then I fired it myself. And I'm... I don't know, 215, 5'11", and pretty solid. And, man, my sh- threw my shoulder around like, I was like, okay, this thing could pretty much do whatever it wants to me, you know, with <laughs> with the muzzle brake on. Right. So, yeah, sorry to go off on a tangent there. I just haven't had time to tell the story yet. That was, <laughs> that was a lot of fun last night. Well, stories is what we're going to be talking about with Dan Antonelli, and we are going to put him in your passenger seat right now. Our guest today is Dan Antonelli. He is the president and creative director of Kick Charge Creative. From a one-person basement shop to an award-winning agency, Dan has navigated the small business landscape and lived to tell the tale. He has now helped over thousands of brands become better recognized with his creative work. Ever since he began hand-lettering trucks at age 14, Dan has been chasing his passion for brand building and logo design. His expertise on small business marketing has been referenced by Entrepreneur Inc. Magazine, Fox Business News, SiriusXM, Signcraft Magazine, Intuit Small Business Blog, and HVACR Magazine. Dan is frequently recruited to speak at workshops and industry trade shows as a brand master and champion of small business success. He has written a book recently called Branded Not Blanded, a great one to pick up and a nice easy read. Dan relishes helping small business owners and entrepreneurs crush their competition. As president of KickCharge, he oversees all aspects of brand design and development. And as creative director, he combines his design passion with a seasoned brand building expertise. With that, welcome to the show, Dan. What's up, guys? How you doing? We are doing great, man. It's another week. Speak for yourself, Nate. You're doing great. Okay. I'm I'm doing great. I'm awesome. I'm awesome, Dan. Good to chat with you again. It was uh, cool to hang out with you at Vertical Track. Is well, how many episodes are we going to do straight where it's like kind of a result of Vertical Track? You know, <laughs> right? Yeah. But uh, I'm actually texting Tommy right now. But we we put on a, uh, or we put on, 
we uh we had a great time at Vertical Track, and Tommy put on a heck of a, a heck of a uh, uh, show convention, conference. I guess you'd say, a yeah, conference. Um, yeah, great speakers. Yeah, vertical it was, Track, it was awesome. I mean, it was it was it was a great event. Tommy did an awesome job. Yeah, like the everybody did an awesome job. The speakers were cool. It was uh, yeah, it was a good time, man. And it was the first thing like that that I had ever taken my wife along. So um, we hadn't. You know, just an especially good time, and I thought like Keith Mercurio was was a different type of speaker. He's been around the industry for a long time, but I did I'd never heard him speak before. So that was, uh, you know, it was just something different. It was hardly even trade related. It was just it was just good stuff. And I don't want to give the man's talk away, but it was good stuff. Yeah, hundred percent. Really good, really good event. Um, had a great time there. Well, Dan, we're excited to have you on the show today, and we want to be talking about growing our brand, whether that's as a company or as a personal technician, because we do have a lot of listeners on both sides of that line. But we always love to learn a little bit about our guests and exactly what it is that you do and how you got started doing it. So if you could give us the uh, the nickel tour of Dan Antonelli's life. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so I started basically in the industry um, – working on truck lettering when I was like 15 years old, I think was the first home service truck I actually hand lettered. So I was really into lettering. Uh, I did everything by hand. Um, so really old school sign painting. And I worked under a great uh, sign artist who really, really taught me how to make the most of the medium. Uh, so a lot, a lot of the techniques that we deploy in brands today um, that we know are destined, obviously, for a vehicle and for a truck wrap and things like that are, are really, you know, elements that I learned when I was really, really young and, and blessed to work under such a talented uh, sign artist. Uh, so that experience, certainly, um, I, I loved working with small businesses, you know, you know even back then. Um, I wound up going to college to get a degree in advertising. And then I worked as a graphic designer for about five years before I started the company. Um, and like many people, I started from the house working in my basement and um, eventually started having employees come to my basement, which was probably a little weird. Um, and then I got an office in 2007. And right now we're in a 5,000 square foot building that I, uh, I had built about five years ago. And we have, I think at this point, I think we have 22 people. Uh, so this wow. year we'll probably, we'll probably brand about 250 home service companies this year. Um, I think we probably have around 2,500 or so under our belts, under our belt after, you know, the last 25 years or so. Um, so it's kind of crazy, you know, and, and it's just, I read that, yeah, I read that so in your fun. book and sorry to interrupt, but I, I don't want to get too far off that point. I read that in your book and I was like, surely that was a typo. 2000 um, companies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, even at the pace we're going now, which is obviously a lot more accelerated than it was when we first started, but we literally actually added, added them all up and it's just, it's just really kind of crazy. But I think what's really neat about that too, is you think about the legacy that we've left in the industry and, and the lives that we've had the, you know, the opportunity and the, and the blessing to have changed uh, by the work that we've done for those companies. And, and to me, that's, that's really the most gratifying aspect of, of what we do. And, you know, the awards are cool and, and the recognition is cool. And, and I certainly appreciate all those things. But, you know, when I hear from an owner after we've done, 
the work to them and, and just see them at a trade show like Tommy's and, and just hear about how our work has, has changed their lives and, you know, how they've been able to grow since we've done the work that we've done for them. And I can't think of a better career than, than to be able to just be able to touch the lives of so many so many owners and, and be a part of that, their, their legacy as well and, and their success. So, you know, whatever, I got 28, 29 years into doing this and it's still fun. It's still exciting. Um, I still feel like there's so much more work uh, and, and better work for us that we, we, we strive to be doing. So like, we just kind of look at nothing we're doing today is, is really good enough for tomorrow. And that's, I think, the guiding principle that I think has kept us on a really, really great path. Um, you know, we, we love it when we do something and people are like, oh, my God, that's, the, that's, that's my favorite or that's the best thing you guys have ever done. And, and, and that's cool for the moment. But you know that tomorrow, like, you, you've got to do something better than that. And, and that's a hard benchmark to keep living up to. But I think that that's what's really propelled us to, uh, you know, where we are today. And, and I just love that challenge. So I'm as a plumber, you know, uh, by trade, um, you know, I'll watch, I don't know, lethal weapon four and I'll, and they'll be walking through the kitchen and I'll see everything in the kitchen that's wrong with the plumbing or that could be upgraded <laughs> or, or how, how I'd go about selling some new faucets and stuff. And then, uh, you know, if I'm, I'm over a friend's house or something, I'm like, eh, it's probably time to upgrade that pull out kitchen. You know what I mean? So do you, do you, when you're just driving down the freeway and you see some poorly branded trucks, does it just pop into your mind? Like, Oh man, if they would just let me work with that. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. Like I almost think it's a little bit of a curse because no matter where I'm at, I feel almost like I'm so judgmental of everyone's brand. And you know, <laughs> Certainly my wife has gotten used to it. And even my wife has become kind of a brand snob over the years. And she'll look at something and she'll be like, oh, my God, like, look at how awful that is. Like, you can't even read that. And, like, she'll start picking things apart. Um, and you see some things that guys post online, you know, on some of the various message boards. And, you know, they're super proud of it. And, and and you know, some of that is I'm just, like, sad because I know it could be so much better. And then I uh. just recognize the fact that the people just don't know. Like, and, and that's why I wrote the book that I, that I just finished because I just, there just wasn't anything out there that you could lay out sort of the blueprint on, on how you actually build a home service brand. Like what goes into it? What are the things that you need to know um, when you're looking to build a brand for a home service company, whether it's naming, whether it's, you know, how logos are constructed, how they need to live on a vehicle, um, you know, how, how they need to speak to consumers, like all those things. So um, I just, I'm really proud of the book because, I think it answers all those questions, you know, and I think that, you know, and not everyone can, can use us, not everyone can afford us. And I, and I totally respect and understand that, but I just like, just like, well, even if that's the case, like just read this book so that, you know, um, as a home service owner, what are the things that I need to know about building a brand for my company uh, so that I can do it um, right the first time and not need to redo it later on. You know, and, and it's so expensive to have to redo uh, brands later mm. on. I mean, probably probably 80% of the brands that we do are rebrands and, and probably 20% are new startups uh, and companies that are looking to do it right from day one, which is always advantageous because there's no baggage. There's nothing that I have to try to work around or, or figure out, um, even naming. Like we will probably name over 100 home service companies this year, I think. Wow. And naming for us too is just really 
an awesome opportunity because now I can help craft that brand story based on this name and I can create these visuals and I can make and create names that address so many of the challenges that most home service companies have with their name, whether it's an initial based name or whether it's a last name based brand or a name you can't spell. Like there's a, a whole host of challenges. As a matter of fact, naming I think is the biggest chapter in the whole book is so much you know, I wrote so much about naming because I wanted people to really understand uh, the obstacles. And, and a lot of these things people can overcome. It's just you have to spend a lot more time and a lot more money on overcoming poor branding. So the idea is, you know, build a great brand to start with, and then it'll be so much more effective and you'll need to spend so much less money on your marketing. Your recruitment is easier. Your average tickets are higher. Like there's just a whole host of benefits from it um, that, you know, I think the book really does a great job of, of speaking to them. Okay, so true or false, uh, when Dan Antonelli goes out to eat at the local restaurant, have you ever told the owner or the waiter that they need to change the name of a particular entree on the menu? Um, probably not the entree, um, but... The name of the know, restaurant? There, there's, <laughs> yeah, there, there's been, you know, certain instances where, like, there's a new restaurant that opened up up the street from us, and if you stepped inside that restaurant, it, it, it felt very premium, felt very high end, but the signage was just awful. Um, and, and, you know, I, I happened to know the owner, um, through a couple of friends and I just said, Hey, you know what? It'd be like super cool. If like the exterior, um, and the signage matched the interior. And, and that's kind of a perfect analogy when you think about it, because there's so many home service contractors that have, or perform amazing service, but if you were to judge them by the trucks, their uniforms, their website, um, any of those things, you can't really make that leap. You can't really make that assumption. So when you think about brands, it's really all about controlling those impressions that that homeowner has about your business um, and making that match out up to the reality of what you actually provide. Um, so that's why I think sometimes my, my work, I think is easy because I can I can get you to look as good as you really are, right? You know, so, so when you ring that doorbell, <laughs> well, like I know you kill uh, you kill it when so you're inside. All of a sudden, Nate is going to be better looking than me. <laughs> like, I was going to say, can we do some branding with Brian? Because I mean, <laughs> we got some work to do, some advertising. <laughs> I may look a lot better, but Nate's a far better human being than I am. That's for sure. Oh, <laughs> well, this is good, Dan. So uh, are you? Are you? Do you now like? Is it? Is it? Not that you like mail it in by any means or anything, but do you find it pretty easy? Like as soon as you see the truck and, and get to know the, you know, the owner and the story, does it come pretty fast to you at this point? As, as far as like what we should be doing or the, the creative direction, do you mean? Yeah. Well, I don't think, I, want, I wouldn't say it comes fast because part of what we want to do before we outline any particular strategy for any company is, is really identify what the market looks like in their particular area. So I want to, I want to know who their top five to 10 competitors are. I, I want to know what those brands look like. Um, and then I want to have a strategy based on what I see as opportunity in that particular market. So the opportunities might consist of, you know, just the overall direction or creative direction you might take. Certainly it's going to talk or, or, or revolve around colors and opportunities and colors. I mean, colors are such a huge issue in branding. So if I see, you know, I mean, listen, you guys know that, um, you know, there's a ton of red and white, uh, red, white, and blue 
brands uh, in home service, especially in HVAC. And, um, you know, those are colors that we typically want to avoid because I can't own them in, in any given market. So we tend to look at those um that research, and then based on that research, I'll have a direction that I feel most confident in. And, and, and some things are easier where you know, as soon as you hear the name, you know almost right away what the direction should look like, you know, or have an idea of what that might um, entail in terms of visuals, especially if it's a name that conjures up a specific visual. Um, but, you know, it still takes time. Like, you know, I think the research is the most critical aspect of what we do because, I, I certainly want to make sure that the idea of disruption and, and visually disrupting a market um, is really based on what we see as far as opportunities in that given market. So let's start there, Dan, because uh, as I mentioned at the top there, we do have a fair amount of technicians that listen to this show uh, and they're mm-hmm. not owners, you know, they're in their own truck, but isn't there still an opportunity to brand themselves in the home? Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent too. For those folks, especially selling technicians, um, the idea of how they present themselves and, and how they project an image to that homeowner will play a role into whether or not the homeowner sees value um, in, in signing up with them. You know, so, so you, you could go in there and obviously just the way you dress, you know, how professional your presentation is, all those aspects certainly are going to play a role um, in the idea of making sure that there's a comfort level that that homeowner has with you personally. So the idea of making personal connections during the sales call, I mean, I mean, Brent Buckley to me is, is a genius when it comes to some of those. You, I know you guys had him on last week and, you know, Brent, you know, is, is just so good at, at creating that empathy. Um, and we branded Fetch Attack for, for, for Brent and Tom Howard and those guys. And, and to me, the visuals again, match, marry up with the perception of what they provide. But, you know, Brent goes in there to any home and he's just such a, an amazing um you know he's just so good at sales he's so good at creating that connection he's so good at offering options that don't feel um like they're they're very salesy in nature just like what is best for you as a homeowner um and also i think that the real thing that i think brent does well is he's offering options um that are, are based on the needs of the homeowner and, and not sort of manufacturing things that a homeowner doesn't need um, and, and sort of high pressure um, sales techniques and things like that. Like that's not how, how he rolls. And I, and I think so much of how he connects with that homeowner is, is based on trust. So anything that, that, a, that a technician can do to sort of develop that empathy, develop that trust. And you have to remember that that homeowner um, is already scared about who's coming to their home. Like, especially if you're dealing with women who are primarily making up most of the decisions. So, so branding is really meant to address them first. Uh, like how do we develop a brand that speaks to them that makes them feel comfortable with the person who is showing up and certainly the manner in which the tech is going to speak to the homeowner. I mean, those are just hobbies things, but are, are going to play a role as to whether or not that homeowner sees value um, in what you're proposing. And, and I think that that's the difference you see too is, is when guys hit ceilings about average tickets and trying to trying to increase their average tickets, it's it's often related back to the perceptions that they give across, and those perception perceptions start from the very first interaction that that homeowner has with that company's brand. So maybe they show their website, maybe they show their truck, you know, uh, or a Facebook post or something like that, and they've already formulated a very specific idea of who this company is. Um, so the, the more you can manage those expectations prior to arriving 
the easier it will be for that that technician to uh, make a sale. So, Dan, have you ever been in the home services industry yourself? Have you ever served as a plumber, tech, or electrician? I have not. Okay, so if you could just imagine yourself like career change starting today, you're selling mm-hmm. off, you're selling off your your project and your business, and you're starting over. You're going to be an HVAC tech. What would be the things plumber. that plumber? A plumber. A plumber. Come uh, on, bro. Okay, plumber. <laughs> what would be the things that Dan focused on himself? Not so much the business or the logo, but yourself. What would you point out as the focal points that you're going to pay attention to with your own personal image, your own personal uh, way you step into a home, all of those things? What would be the things that you would focus on? Um, I, I mean, the obvious thing is how I'm dressed, how I'm groomed. Um, you know, making sure I, I have booties when I walk in the house and the red carpet at the front door. Um, I know Tommy Mello has this saying about never ring the doorbell because doorbell is for strangers, but knocking is for friends. So I would deploy that technique. Um, and I think, you know, to me personally, like if I was going to go into it, I would invest in, in some of the amazing, amazing coaches that, you know, are out there, whether it's, uh, TJ Hartnett or, or Joe Cressara or, or J-Dub, like some of these guys. And I think the, um, the experiences that they bring to the table as far as how you, how you present options, that would be something certainly I would personally invest in myself yes, sir. so that I re- really understood um, how to do that once you get in the door. It is funny how like people will invest so much in the mechanical end and so little in that communication piece, it is like expected that if a company is going or if a tech is going to have communication training, it's almost expected that the company is going to pay for that. Well, if yep. you go to trade school, you don't go find a company to, to, to talk into paying for the trade school for you. You just go, you know, pay for it or get a, get a, a, uh, oh, yeah. you got it, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, come on, help me out, buddy. Scholarship? There we go. Scholarship. <laughs> let's, let's start that over. It's it's expected that the company will will pay for it. Almost expected, but if you were going to trade school, you wouldn't go find a company to pay for it for you, and then go to trade school, and then come out and go work for the company. You'd either pay for it, or you'd you know apply for a scholarship or what have you. But with this communication piece, you know, it it, it blows me away. Even here, where we have some very high producers, very high ticket averages in the industry in all three brands, that we have so few people who pay their own money to invest in themselves in the communication piece. It's like, if we don't train them, they don't get it. And it's like, it blows me away. That part blows me away. You burn two years of your life in trade school and spent who knows what, whatever it is, even if you got a scholarship, it's two years, you're not working. So it's two years, you have zero right. income, which is way more expensive than whatever you paid for it, right? But you're putting zero of your money, very little of your time into the communication side, which is going to make you way more money than anything you could learn to do with your tools. Ask Brent Buckley. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Brent, and, you know, and I always joke about Brent because I feel like, um, you know, Brent could, could sell – um, you know, a million dollars a month um, with a, a white van with a magnetic sign on the side. <laughs> <laughs> he would disagree if you listen to his episode. Every, no, every know, piece leading just, up helps. 
it's just, uh, I mean, he's just incredible at, at, at what he does. But certainly I'm, I'm proud to have him represent the Fetchatech brand. And I think it's just an amazing, um, you know, brand story that he's able to capitalize. But, you know, again, just the idea of forming those impressions before he even gets there. And then he rings the doorbell and he just, he just kills it every time. Like, dude, dude is just, a, you know, he's he's crazy. I mean, it's just amazing what he's, he's able to do. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, here it is last day of October and he just texted to me he's at uh, 11 million five hundred and eleven thousand four hundred and forty nine dollars in sales for the year yeah 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 i mean it's just a, it's an incredible story with what they've done in 12 months there crazy stuff okay dan so i went to his I, I went there by the way when i was in vegas and uh you know just went into the into their offices and just saw the wall wraps that we designed it was just really cool to see you know, again, just some of those some of those aspects of culture being integrated uh, with the branding into their space. Um, so, you know, it's just nice when you get to see firsthand what with you know the brand living and breathing in an, in an environment as well. So, I got to see that when I was at uh, Victor's event last week or two weeks ago, I guess. Now, okay, Dan. So we've we've covered some of the areas of. Um attention to draw ourselves to if we are a technician in the home in a truck right now. Uh, what if we're somebody who's considering launching out of a truck and maybe we want to start our own thing? What would be some key components that we should start thinking about right now and that we should really be um, particular in what we desire to start our own new brand? So the most fundamental thing to make sure you get right is the naming. And that's often, you know, something that just not a lot of thought is given to. Um, and even the, the there's legal issues with naming that, that people need to be aware of as well as far as picking names that you can actually legally use. And some people will use the benchmark of going on their state registry and, and typing in a name on the state registry. And it comes back clear that you can use it and they think that they're golden with that. But um, federal trademarks supersede state. So you have to be very careful when it comes to naming because you have to make sure you, you pick a name that isn't actually registered as a federal trademark to someone else. Um, that'll, that could be, again, a very expensive lesson later on um, if you get a cease and desist from the trademark holder. Um, so naming, um, big part of it. Um, that would be the first thing that I would invest in. Um, certainly my book, like I said, covers a lot about naming. Um, there's some stuff online that you can, you know, certainly check out and, and learn more about that process. A lot of guys by default think it's easier to say, well, I'll just use my last name um, because I know that that'll be available or I'll use initials like my initials, like ABP, you know, heating and air or something like that. Um, and those are typically uh, mistakes. You know, I don't know how to say that in, in a nice way, but you typically don't want to name it after yourself and you don't want to use initials, uh, which is really the worst, um, worst, Model service it will never uh, be remembered by a homeowner. It'll take years and years of of marketing and advertising to get people to know what your last name brand is. So that would be the first thing I would say: is just make sure you have a name that delivers a delivers a visual that I can connect and start from there. And I think that that would be the first thing. And then, of course, then it's then it's get the branding done correctly, and then invest in the in the truck wrap. Um, you know, we, we just see so many, so many leads coming off well-branded trucks, um, that I think it's often overlooked in the mix. Everyone's like, oh, you know, and I get it. You've got to invest in digital and you've got to make sure you're online. And I'm not 
discounting those things that you need to be doing. Uh, but a well-branded truck, I mean, we, we've seen how it relates to organic traffic on so many sites that it's just crazy how much impact it has on your digital marketing and um, organic traffic, you know, your branded search terms. I mean, all those things are directly related to your visibility within the community and, and leveraging that particular canvas. And if you if you compare like, well, you know, like, well, okay, truck wraps five grand and it's kind of expensive. And I'm like, well, l- look at what it would cost you to buy a billboard in your community and, and keep it up for a year uh, compared to, you know, five grand once for a truck wrap and how long that's going to last. Um, so th- the biggest problem is most truck wraps are trash. They're not done well uh, and they're never going to work properly. So you just make sure you, that if you're going to invest in one, you get one that is, is done correctly, that, that, you know, is really brand centric in nature, that it's legible, that I can tell what you can do, that I can remember the name, uh, that it uses colors that are unique. I mean, all those aspects, um, I think, are things that as a startup, if you invest in those, you'll, you'll have the best chance of success. That's so interesting, Dan, because it, I drive around and see it all the time. Uh, contractors who have three initials as their business name, you know, NJM excavating BWB plumbing, whatever. And like, it's, it's so interesting that you, you have that, uh, perspective on things that it's very difficult to remember that because while it's obviously very personal to you, uh, it isn't necessarily to somebody else. And then in addition to that, you know, it's often on a white truck magnet or something like that, just thrown on the side of things. What, what is it that you feel that uh, contractors who are doing that are missing out on the most? Well, I mean, they're, they're missing out on the opportunity to deliver a brand promise. Um, and, and by brand promise, again, that's more about the perception that the homeowner has about your business before you're, you're even asked to arrive at the doorstep. Um, so, you know, the, you know, I have a guy that cuts my grass and I tell this story often, like the guy's been cutting my grass for probably going on 15 years at this point. And it's, it's like AD cave landscaping or, or something like that. But if it was like, you know, something, you know, turfs up landscaping, like I would remember that, you know, but, but why would I ever remember three random initials that I can't connect a visual to and that I can't assign a promise from? So um, think about that in terms of naming and think about names that if you literally just said the name to someone, they would immediately think something about maybe what you do and they might have a positive impression, you know, like, you know, air experts, heating and air already sounds to me like a company that delivers a great service. Compare that with, you know, Antonelli heating and air. And I don't know if Antonelli heating and air is, is good or bad. You know, it's going to take a lot of advertising for people within my community to assign a, um, a value to that last name. And it's going to take a lot of, a lot of marketing and it's going to be expensive. So I would rather lead in with something that already signifies that promise because it's just going to make it that much easier. I'll need to spend less money on marketing to get people to know what that signifies. And I can also build brands and images that as soon as someone sees this image, they will associate it with my brand name. And I think that that's the hardest part of initial based brands like TJS heating and air. Well, well, what visual goes with TJS? Like what, what am I supposed to put with that? How am I supposed to get every, anytime someone sees that visual to associate it with a brand name and compare that to Amanda Triolo at grasshopper, grasshopper heating and air. Well, we've got a grasshopper as, as their primary brand element. 
you know, as their mascot. As soon as I see the grasshopper, well, of course, all I'm thinking about is grasshopper, right? So you see how that kind of works and it kind of connects the dots because her name is the visual. And there, you can't do that with a last name brand. You can't do that with initial base brands. And those are, you know, again, just some of the challenges that people have. And, and you know, I, I think it's become a lot more talked about, certainly over the last, you know, year or two. I feel like, you know, a lot more has been said about it. Um, and people are certainly more cognizant of the fact that they have a challenge with their name if they use initials. So, Dan, another question I have for you regarding naming is, things within the business, right? So how important is it to have names for products or services that mean something as opposed to just calling it the typical maintenance or the typical, uh, you know, water heater? Is there merit to having clever names yeah. or, or creative names within the business? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, if you can, it, it, and that's why, that's why I hate some of the content that's been, that's being written on these websites because so much of the content is totally generic. But if I have a maintenance program and it's based on an element or an aspect of my brand name and my branding in general or my brand story, that already signifies to the homeowner that it's different than kind of the same old like gold, silver and bronze plant. Well, everybody's got a gold, silver and bronze plant. But if the name was really something that was very much aligned and, and very specific to your own unique brand story, it sounds different. It sounds better. And I always say, I always use this example as far as websites are concerned and content for websites. It's like literally if you were, if you go on your website and you strip out your name and you put your competitor's name in there instead and you read your website and it reads fine, then what actually is different about your particular company? Why would Mrs. Jones choose you over someone else? If there's really no element or aspect of your content that is branded to you specifically, then how are you actually different than anyone else? Um, and that's why, like, you know, some of the content that I see written for web, it's just, it's just so boring. It's just so plain. There's literally no compelling story that's being told about that particular experience that I might get as that homeowner. Um, so yes, hundred percent. If you can brand the names of your packages, um, I think that they, or, or your, you know, maintenance agreement plan, plan things like that. I'd certainly, um, I think is a differentiator. All right. Well, moving on from naming, uh, what else should we be considering? Do we need to spend time on a slogan or, or what's kind of the next step that we would do if we were starting fresh? So, ta you know, taglines and slogans, um, we, we probably do that for 50% of the companies we brand, maybe a little bit more. Um, but we typically hold off on doing taglines until after we've done creative. So we may have a tagline that is really based on a visual aspect and, a, and, and an aspect of the brand itself. Um, and you could look at, you know, even like, you know, Amanda's tag, Amanda's tagline, which is uh, forward is a way of life. Um, and that's based on the notion that that grasshoppers actually can only move forward. Um, and so that became really a, a really important part of their culture is the idea is that we as a company will only be moving forward. Um, so there's certainly um, a, a lot of value in having a tagline that relates back to your uh, visual. Like, for example, we did a company called Zen Air, and then we wrote the tagline, The Art of Comfort. Um, and, and, you know, things like that, I think, really make a difference um, to connecting the visuals with the story. We, we got another brand that we've done just in Virginia, called Colonial, and then we wrote the tagline service that's revolutionary. 
and and the visual is kind of this this um, you get that like, Brian you know oh, it's yeah. a, it's a soldier um, <laughs> I and got, I got it <laughs> you know just connecting those aspects I think um, definitely helps tell that story even further so yeah I mean a tagline would be great and the tagline obviously should relate back to the visual and it should relate back to the name of the company Dan have you met Brian personally yes if you had to design Brian Burton's tagline for him as a plumber in the home what would be brian burton's tagline oof that's a tough one the, the fact that uh, the new top gun movie comes out on dvd tomorrow just popped into your head huh? <laughs> I was thinking, like, some weird combination of ice man and maverick yes that's probably what i was thinking nate's goose after the crash <laughs> <laughs> savage uh i don't know i don't know um his ego's writing checks, his body can't cash, or uh, no? <laughs> yeah, I can see it. <laughs> Plenty of bronze, so your plumbing won't go wrong. Now you're uh, defining my short high school career. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back to that, Dan. You can think about it for a while. Okay. <laughs> so uh, with with uh, another thing that we possibly want to look at is colors, right? Because you mentioned already red, white, and blue are, uh, you know, something that are quite frequent in the trade, specifically HVAC, do you, you know, blue, cold, red, hot, uh, those types of things. If we can't own the colors, uh, do we end up going into like, you know, the weird section of, well, that's a really weird color. Yeah. You know, that type of thing, or how, how do you bring it back around so it's actually a logo that you want? Well, um, you know, certainly weird colors. Um, we try to look at it more as the idea of disruptive colors. So, so colors that you typically have not seen placed together. And even not to keep harping on, on the, the branding that we did for Brent, but the color scheme for, for Fetch Attack is a very, very unique set of colors. Um, it's very intentional and very deliberate when we had picked those colors but when we're looking at colors um, when it's possible and when it's appropriate we're trying to pick colors that you typically do not see deployed together obviously we're, we're paying attention to color harmony and we're paying attention to making sure that the palette is pleasing especially to women when we think about it from that perspective um, but but certainly um, the idea of avoiding colors that are very very common because if I if I can't look at your brand colors and 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 I and think about you only if I think about a bunch of other things and that's why red white and blue is so hard because I can't look at red white and blue and and, and as soon as I see it only think about your company uh, no I'm going to be thinking about the American flag I'm going to be thinking about elements of Americana um, I'm going to be thinking about you know those aspects before I'm actually thinking about your colors only and your I'm sorry your company only. So those are the things that you want to try to think about when choosing colors is just pick colors that typically you haven't seen uh, deployed together, um, you know, and, and try to own those colors. You know, like the primary brand colors for Amanda are, are, are blue and apple green. You know, those are her primary brand colors, um, you know, fairly unique. There's a lot of red, white, and blue in her space. And that's why we said we're not, we're not going to be red, white, and blue because I can't build a brand that won't be confused or, or mistaken for another company. So when you're picking colors, absolutely, just, just try to think about palettes that feel fresh, that, that are, are different than what you expect them to be. Um, and that's the whole point of, of disruption is, is just trying to, when everyone else is going in one direction, you wanna go in the opposite direction. 
Yeah, I was going to tag on to there a little bit more about disruptive. So disruptive brand, I mean, if you could kind of explain that, uh, maybe you can, maybe you already did there with basically going the opposite direction of everybody else. But, you know, that makes some people nervous because there's there's comfort in going the same direction. There's, there's tradition. There's uh, certainly tenure in going the same direction as mm-hmm. everybody else. And certainly some people uh, have attempted to go the other direction and have failed miserably. You know, think of the original, the original Coke, uh, Coke zero, right. Uh, new Coke, mm-hmm. I guess it was back in the eighties yeah, yeah, and nineties, yeah. you know, there's a company trying to go in the opposite direction and man, did it fail miserably. So what is the risk? What is the reward of being disruptive and how do you measure the difference between the two to come to a place of success? Well, you could you could just simply look at what the company was doing prior to us rebranding as being, you know, very safe. You know what I call safe branding. You know whether it's the 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 sun and snowflake logo or the the red and blue arrows uh, for HVAC, and and that's very safe because everyone does it. Like you want to go on Google and just type in heating and air logos and, and see how many red and blue arrows you see, and 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 sun and snowflake logos come up there. Uh, so when we come in and we say, well, no, like that's not going to be memorable because it's so overused. It's so expected. Um, I want to build brands that feel almost like they're not even a heating and air conditioning company, which sounds very counterintuitive. Uh, but certainly if you compare the numbers in terms of revenue growth for these companies uh, with their, again, safe brands versus the ones that are more disruptive, I mean, it's just, I mean, the numbers are crazy uh, as, as far as um, revenue increases since rebranding. Um, so um, I get it. I understand that, you know, going into a space that feels scary because no one else brands like that. Um, but, I mean, we've got so much data and so much research behind these strategies, you know, you know to know that it really works. And if anyone's read the book, The Purple Cow, where they talk about, you know, seeing all these, you know, cows on the, on the countryside. And then what if you suddenly saw a purple one? Well, of course that would stand out and you would look twice at it. And, and that's kind of the same theory. And what you said earlier about the idea of um, everyone having these white bands, right? So I, we call that in the book, I talk about it, this white band syndrome, right? It's the, the idea that we're going to just do vinyl lettering on our van and, and, and somehow hope that that's going to be unique in, in our space. When the reality is, is that there's, there's dozens and dozens of other white bands in our market. And, and why would anyone look at our white band and give that a second look? So when everyone's going again in that one direction, the idea is thinking about branding in a completely different manner. Um, and that tends to really be a lot stickier in people's minds. So that's why we see the organic traffic and the branded keyword search traffic really go through the roof when you go in that direction, because when you're sitting behind it or you see it drive by, you, you want to look at it and, and almost learn more about what you just saw because it's just not another white van in, in, in the community that you see hundreds of them. You see 100 white vans, why would you ever look at, look at them again? Like you're not going to look at them again. So that's really the idea behind disruption. Um, and like I said, you know, our, our website's got like so many before and afters and you can see the safe before and then you can see the after and then you can see the benchmarks that we, we use to, to measure success as far as revenue increases and how much the company has grown since they kind of embraced that idea. So Dan, when, when we are looking at uh, a design, when you're looking at creative, when you're looking at all that, how do you know whether you've been successful or not? 
do you mean like how do we arrive at the ideas that we present to a client? Well, more, 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 more post launch, right? So I'm sure you can look at it and say, man, this is beautiful. All the colors match. Mm -hmm. It's matchy matchy. It's, it's lovely. The graphics are great. Yeah, Yeah. But in the end, how do you know whether it's been a success in the field or not? Yeah, so we, we look at a number of benchmarks on that. Certainly revenue increases is one, and you could look at the trajectory of the company prior to the to the rebrand and then see how the rebrand became this catalyst for a much more accelerated growth. We also look at the, the ad spend, right? So how much does the company need to spend after the rebrand in order to keep that trajectory going? And, and that's the other aspect where, you know, our clients, a lot of our clients are less than 5% of revenue on ad spend. And it's because they don't need to spend as much as a poorly branded company. Um, so you have those aspects. I mean, revenue is easy. Average ticket is easy to look at. The increase in average tickets prior to uh, and post rebrand, those are easy benchmarks that we, that we look at. Um, but certainly you also look at the effect on culture. And that's a, that's a more intangible aspect to, to sort of gauge as far as, well, what, is, what does that actually mean and how do you measure that result? But certainly you can ask, you know, uh, ask the, you know, any owner after they've gone through the process, that that's been probably the biggest surprise that they've had is how the brand has affected culture in, in a positive way. Um, and and that's, that's the part, too, where guys, you know, a lot of owners have trouble with recruitment and, and, and saying, well, no one wants to work for us. And, and you look at what their outward appearances and, and sometimes there's clues as to why that may be happening right then and there, because it doesn't look like a place that is attracting top talent. It doesn't look like a place that people even want to work or be proud to drive the truck. Um, and, and Amanda's story, I think as far as how she's grown that company and what she's been able to do in such short time, I mean, she's gone from like 60,000 in residential sales to, I think she's projecting 15 million or so. Uh, I think it's 16 months later, which is just absurd, like, you know, in terms of the growth. Um, but she doesn't have a recruitment problem. Like she's got people that are constantly contacting them saying, I want to work for your company. Well, well, why is that? What, 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 what makes her environment and what she's created so special? And, and it's, it's obviously amazing leadership. Uh, it's amazing culture. Um, and it's just a general sense of people wanting to belong to something that's bigger than themselves and, and seeing that vision that Amanda has laid out in front of people. Um, so, you know, like, you know, your original question, certainly there's a lot of benchmarks. Revenue is an easy one, uh, but there's other aspects of it too that we, we really look at. And, and uh, you know, going to these events, like going to Tommy Mel's event and Victor's event, like you just see firsthand from all these owners, like what it's really done in terms of energizing these companies and helping them really become this catalyst for this great change uh, and positive change for their company. Speaking of company, Dan, what if we already have an existing company? I mean, you talked a little bit about the idea of rebranding there. Rebranding is certainly something uh, that perhaps is even more critical than starting from scratch because you already have to transition an existing audience into whatever the new territory, new creative, and new ideas that you're going into. What are some things that you consider uh, when somebody approaches you with rebranding as something they should really be focusing on? So it's a great question because you, you want to look at what they currently have and identify whether there's elements of what they currently have that we want to leverage in a rebrand. Um, maybe there's an aspect of their logo that we can take and we can build from and we can maybe fix or modernize or, or, or sort of spin off of. 
Um, naming becomes something also where you have to take a hard look at that. And I'm not one to just suddenly throw away decades of, of brand equity um, if there's no reason to do that. Um, so you, you want to assess whether or not there's any aspect of where you came from that is important to bring into this rebrand. Um, so we look at all aspects. Certainly even color is something you decide whether or not it's something that we can leverage um, and that we should bring into um, a new brand. So if you've been running around with red trucks for 20 years, um, well, that's that's there's equity there. You know, I'm not just going to throw that out the window for the sake of trying to do something a little bit different because it, it might not make sense to do something different. Um, so you want to really take a hard look um, and try to assess that. I, I will say that most people, most owners think that they have more brand equity in their community than they actually really do. Um, but it's still something that you have to really take a hard look at and, and pay careful consideration to before you just decide, hey, I'm throwing everything out the window. None of this is any value to us and we're starting completely from scratch. It's, it's really not how we would do it. We would really want to assess if there's aspects that we can leverage uh, in building something even better. Sometimes you can. Um, and, you know, like even when we rebranded um, Victor's company, Absolute Air, like he had an eagle. And he really wanted to leverage that eagle. And so that became an aspect that we worked into his new brand. Um, and, you know, we connected sort of the dots between the old and the new by using that same, wasn't the same eagle, but we used a eagle. Uh, it was more interpretive what we did versus what we had, but what he had previously. But it was still an aspect that we were able to leverage. So certainly look at where you where you came from, examine whether it is there's aspects of, of the prior branding that you can bring into a new brand and then work from there. So let me ask, since our our audience is primarily, I feel like that's changing every day, but primarily service techs, primarily in another person's truck, how do how do I as a service tech, you know, I'm in someone else's truck wearing someone else's logo, someone else's uniform, don't have really any control over how they brand. How does Dan... Uh, talk to me about branding myself so that I stand out and so that I'm remembered if I have no control over all the other stuff? Um, it, it's, it's really hard. I mean, it, it, you're, you're given the tools um, or lack, lack of tools to do your job. And I think that that's the part where, you know, if you're able to have a conversation with the owner and talk about some of these challenges, talk about how the company is being perceived and how that's an obstacle for you as a selling tech to try to do your job. Um, those are things that, you know, again, maybe, maybe the owner will listen, maybe the owner won't listen, but I would almost start there first and just say, Hey, like, look at this guy we're competing against. Look at their branding, look at their trucks, look at their website. And now we're going in there with this, right? So you can almost try to leverage maybe another, another competitor in terms of how well they're doing with their marketing and their branding and say, Hey, like, can we, can we work on this? Can we improve this? Uh, can we invest in this? Because it's not, it's not even really, I, I mean, it's, it's an expense, but it's really an, an investment. Um, but short of that, I mean, it, it's really hard. You know, honestly, it's really hard to try to really increase your average tickets when you're pro projecting, uh, when your sales materials are awful or the website is awful or your uniform doesn't look good or your truck doesn't look good. Like you're fighting an uphill battle um, at that point. So um, what can you do to fix that if you don't have control of it? Um, switch, I don't know. Switch companies. Um, 
We, we read yeah, between the lines. <laughs> you, you know, just you know, work on your own appearance as best you can. Work on creating that empathy with the homeowner. Um, you know, work on your presentation skills. All all of those things, you know, you can certainly do. But if the if the homeowner doesn't see value, if they don't see a reason why they should pr- pay at your price point versus someone else that is better branded, I mean, that's just a tough tough obstacle to over overcome. Okay. Yeah. And it's, uh, we, we talk a lot about the things you can do to stand out and differentiate, differentiate yourself a bit. But at the end of the day, if you're in a white van with someone's initials on the side and then it ends with electrical, uh, it's definitely an uphill battle to really stand out. I'm, uh, struck by how many, I, I guess, I don't even know if you would know, but how many brands you have worked with in the Phoenix, Arizona area, but I felt like as my wife and I were you know, riding Ubers to Scottsdale Mall and back and forth here and there, I'm like, it seemed like everywhere I look, I was looking at your handiwork. Have you? <laughs> we've, <laughs> thought, we've done, yeah, we've done a lot in that market. Um, we did Tommy Mellows. We, we, you know, for A1 Garage, we did oh, Gettle. Yeah. Um, we just finished another company called Zest that's in the, in the Phoenix market. Um, so, yeah, we have done a fair amount in Phoenix for sure. Dan, how does that work? Uh, just out of curiosity, when you're designing for competitors in the same market, how do you not like run out of ideas, so to speak? You know, if Brian and I were in competing markets and you did the best uh, HVAC plumbing electrical business that you could possibly think of for Brian, and then I came to you and said, I want better. Yeah. How does that work? In the, in the podcasting market, when I start, uh, as Chris, Chris Hegel said, the waste <laughs> everyday podcast. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, listen, we have, we have, you know, Vegas is another, another market where we probably have, I don't know, maybe 10 brands in that particular market, but we're always just trying to be very cognizant of what, what's been done in that market, regardless of if we've done it or not done it. Um, and just trying to think about how we do it different. I certainly don't want to put competing themes. I don't want to put, um, competing brand storylines, um, in the same market. Um, and I want to be very careful um, about that because I don't want to marginalize anyone's um, results as, as a, you know, because of that. So we just, again, follow the same process, honestly, that we do for anyone is look at the competitors, look at what's already been done in that market, look at the color schemes that are in that market and make sure that the, that the creative that we're advocating is something that is going to still be unique and, and not be confused, obviously, with another brand that's already in that particular space. It still seems like that would be difficult, though. I mean, from a creative perspective, yeah. You know, I, well, I, have I mean, some, go ahead. I was just say you could look at Gettle, right? Which is a, which is a very very unique brand strategy, based you know based more on a, kind of a Norman Rockwell style illustration, um, and you could compare compare that with Zest Plumbing, uh, which is um, a, a more whimsical mascot based approach, and you could put those two bands together, and there's absolutely nothing in common between the two. So it's just being very cognizant, again, of, of strategies and, and approaches and genres, too. I mean, there's so many different genres that you can go in when it comes to branding, whether it's nostalgic, whether it's retro, um, clean and modern. I mean, you have to really look at all those aspects. But to say that, like, one is going to be better than the other, um, again, that's a hard benchmark to sort of, sort of say better in what regard. How, how, do, how are we judging which one is better? Uh, than the other um, because you could look at a clean and modern brand 
and it's going to have a much different vibe than a nostalgic retro brand, but it doesn't necessarily mean that one approach is actually better than the other. They're just, they're just different. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you want to say well, growth is the benchmark or revenue is the benchmark or, you know, the rate at which you add employees and trucks, but even, even that doesn't, you can't just correlate one thing to, the truck rack yeah. or something like that. So it's like, it's like an impossible exactly. measurement. You, know, you really need to hit all yeah. of them very well to end up with a gettle on your hands. And as this episode airs, um, Ken Goodrich was on last week. So, you know, we, we obviously oh, okay. dove into that a little bit, but having a, having a brand like gettle is, you know, Dan designs the truck wraps and the was, you know, Rach Williams designs the commercials and <laughs> you're, you're pretty much going from every direction is as good as you possibly could. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's, that's probably our, one of our most successful brands. Uh, I mean, Tommy's at a one is, is another one. I think Tommy was at 30 million when we rebranded him. And I think, I don't know if they're one fifty now or something crazy like that. I think that's only three or four years later. Uh, so, so tremendous growth there. And, and obviously Ken's story is just, you know, an amazing story. I think he was eight or 9 million when, when we, rebranded him eight, eight or nine or maybe it's 10 years at this point uh but but to your point too like leadership and operations like no brand is ever going to fix that so you know you could have the best brand in the world and and you're going to tank really quickly is you know when you ring that doorbell and you can't live up to that to that promise or the operations aren't working or the csrs aren't doing what they're supposed to be i mean there's a whole host of things that you have to make sure you have dialed in um, because I can make anyone look amazing, but you guys got to execute, you know, so that part's on you. So got to make sure that that part is working. Challenge accepted for Brian Burton plumbing. I'm not sure that you can make anybody look amazing. Oh, that sounds stressful. <clears throat> we'll see about that. <laughs> well, Dan, uh, as we bring things in for a landing here, you are an author and you have written a book here called Branded, Not Blanded. Tell us a little bit about the book, the emphasis behind it, and if we missed any really critical points you wanted to share with our audience today. Um, yeah, the, I, I finished the book um, about two months ago, I think. I, I wrote it, um, you know, I wrote it to basically put something out there that talks about all the things you need to know about how to brand a home service business. And, and um, there really, I, I don't think there is a resource out there that really touches on all the aspects. Uh, so I said, let me, let me sort of put this information out there. I, I was seeing so many posts on, on some of the different, you know, social media pages for owners and just so much misunderstanding about the subject. So I said, you know what, let me, let me write another book. I've, I've written a few before this one, uh, but this one I wanted to be a hundred percent focused on the needs of a home service company. So I think there's just a ton of really, really good information and insights as to how it works, um, what you need to do, um, what you need to be thinking about, uh, and how to go about it. So, you know, if you are a startup, I think it's a great book, but even if you have an existing company um, and you're looking for ways to try to figure out how to gain more traction, um, how to lower your marketing spend, uh, some of those things, you, you'll find a ton of great insights um, into that, um, you know, from the book. And, um, yeah, it was just a lot, you know, it was a lot of fun to write. And I just like being able to use that as a resource for people and just say, hey, you know what, check out this book. Um, it'll give you a lot of 
great information about how to go about building a brand, whether you use us or use someone else, um, just know more about the subject and you'll be um, much better off in the long run. Excellent. Dan, if people are interested in learning more about you or about your company, or perhaps they are looking to get some rebranding or new branding done for themselves, where's the best way to find you? Um, you can just shoot me an email at dan at kickcharge.com or just go to our website. It's kickcharge.com, K-I-C-K, charge.com. Excellent. Well, we appreciate it to have you on today, Dan. It's good to talk to somebody who is thinking uh, outside of the box and being a disruptor in the industry or whatever industry you are in. And the last question I want to ask for you here is more centered around like what what is the most important thing that we as people in the home services industry should be focusing on in terms of our brand message? Um, I would say the most important thing is to remember who your audience is and your audience is a woman. Design your brands to appeal to women and you'll be so far further down the path than so many other home service companies, which designs design brands for what the owners personally like instead of remembering who it is that they're actually targeting. So I always kind of joke about thinking about your brands in, in terms of um, if it was a fabric softener, what would your brand look like for your home service company? Because that's actually more likely to attract a, a woman than it is if you were designing a brand that was more like you were designing um, for Gillette razors instead. Um, so just try to remember that the women are primarily making 70 to 80% of the decision making for home service and make sure that your brand is speaking to them um, and uh, appeals to their sensibilities. Great words of advice there. Dan Antonelli, we'd have appreciated having you on today. Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom with our audience. Hey, if, uh, thanks for having me on guys. If, if our audience wants to get an autographed book, how could they go about that? Is there a place they could maybe send the book and, uh, yeah. So if they actually want to buy the book from me personally, you could just go to kickcharge.com forward slash books, and then you could order it from me and then it would be, uh, autographed. Um, if you order it from Amazon, it's actually printed a little bit differently than the copies that we have here. Um, and it's actually a little bit more expensive to order through Amazon. But if you do order from me, certainly I'm happy to autograph. Plus there's you. no really autograph from that. Amazon, right? No autograph from Amazon. Yes, please. And, and, then you yeah, got to fold up course. a 20 inside the front cover and mail it to him anyway. You might as well just <laughs> get it from Dan to begin with. You know, it'll be worth hundreds as soon as I die also. So you got <laughs> hey, thanks a lot, Dan. We've appreciated having you on. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk soon. All right. Hey, that's a wrap for this podcast. We hope that you take uh, that you got some takeaways from today's message with Dan. Uh, whether you are in your own truck and you're serving as your personal brand in the home, whether you're in the market to start a brand or whether you already have one and you are looking to rebrand, Dan is the man when it comes to messaging, putting colors together, message, uh, and figuring out what exactly it is that your brand is about. Uh, And whether you're a technician in the home or a business, I think there's plenty of information to take away there on both sides of that line regarding how we present ourselves and what exactly we are trying to communicate non-verbally. We hope that this podcast is communicating plenty to you verbally and non-verbally, and we hope that you're finding it beneficial. Please feel free to drop us a line in the comments, hit us up with a five-star review, or share this podcast with other people that you know who would enjoy it. We'd love to get some more listeners and in front of some more people. We want to leave you now with our challenge, which is the same every week. 
to choose to wake up every single morning and waste no day.